Have you ever asked a child this question? How big are you? It's so cool to see their response because this is what you often see. A child who raises her hands and says, I'm so big. Now, of course, when you're, a, when you're a kid, you want to be as big as possible because the bigger you are, the more stuff you get to do. And for example, the bigger you are, the later you can go to bed at night. And when it comes to how big you are, children often look to their fathers. And from their perspective, dad looks really, really big. And of course, that's a, that's a very good thing because when you have a big, big father, you feel safe and protected. When you have a big dad, you know that if there's a problem, any kind of problem, dad can handle it because after all, he's really, really what? Yeah, he's really, really big. And that brings me to a question that I want you to think about this morning. How big is your God? How big is your God? Today we're beginning a new series of messages, and here's the big idea for the series. The way you live will be determined by your view of God. This is true for every single one of us. The way that we live is determined by our view of God. And in particular, the way we live is determined by the size of our God. And I believe that for many, many people, the problem is simply this. Our God is too small. So many people are not convinced that their soul is completely secure in the hands of a God who is all-powerful, a God who is all-wise, a God who loves us deeply. And uncertainty about God has certain predictable consequences. If you are not sure that God is really in charge, if you're not sure that God really cares about every detail of your life, you are going to battle anxiety. You'll wake up in the morning and often feel overwhelmed because, listen, if it's going to happen, it depends on you. If your view of God is too small, you're going to battle insecurity. In fact, your self-image will rise or fall depending on what people think of you on any particular day. If your view of God is too small, you will not have a strong prayer life. I mean, why spend time praying when you really don't believe that it will make any difference? Look at this quote on your outline by Pastor John Ortberg. He writes this, When human beings shrink God, they offer prayer without faith, worship without awe, serve without joy, suffer without hope, and the result is a life of stagnation and fear, a loss of vision and inability to persevere and see it through. Today, we're going to look at a story in the Bible that reminds us that we have a big, big God who has promised to always be with us a God who has promised never to leave us or forsake us. And the question I want you to answer this morning as we walk through this is this. What difference does it make if you believe that God is with you? What difference does it make if you really believe that God is with you? What is it like to live with a confidence that you never have to face anything in your life alone? What if you really believe that an all-wise, powerful God was constantly with you, helping you and guiding you and loving you? The story we're going to look at today is found in the book of Judges. If you've got one of the brown Bibles that we provided, this is going to be on page 194. And this story is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Somebody said to me after second service, hey, could you, could you preach that sermon every week? This is a, a story that affects every single one of us. And the story begins in chapter 6, verse 1, with a big, big problem. And here's how the story begins. It says, Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Now, this takes place, let me give you just some historical context, after the Israelites 
have crossed the Jordan River, they're settling in the Promised Land, but it's before the time that Israel has kings. They are ruled by judges. And just to show you on the map where Midian is, they're in the red circle, they're at the bottom, and that's south of Israel. If you look just to the north, you see that body of water, that's the Dead Sea, and Jerusalem is to the, the left there. But here's how the story continues in verse two. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Midianites, or whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other Eastern peoples invaded the country. And here's how the story continues. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count the men and their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they did this. They cried out to the Lord for help. Israel's in serious trouble and they say, God, look, we're really, really sorry and we really, really need you to help us. So what does God do? Well, God sends a messenger from heaven to a particular man that God has handpicked to rescue Israel. And does anybody know this man's name? His name is Gideon. Now this is really interesting. This is a detail that is very important but we would often miss it if we didn't understand the culture of the day. And it has to do with what Gideon is doing when this messenger from heaven first sees him. Gideon, the story tells us, this is in verse 11, he's threshing wheat in a very unusual place. It says that he's threshing wheat in a wine press. Now, for us, we might not get that because we don't thresh wheat in a wine press. In fact, we don't even know what that means. But here's what's going on. A wine press is a hole in the ground, just a small hole. And typically, when you thresh wheat, you do it on a level surface so that you can take the wheat and throw it up in the air and the chaff blows away. And so what Gideon is doing, he's trying to thresh wheat in this tiny hole in the ground, and here's why. Because he's scared to death of the Midianites. He's afraid that they're gonna come and take what little wheat he has. And so while he's engaged in this behavior, this is what happens. It says, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you. And notice these next two words. What are they? Let's say them together. Mighty warrior. What? This guy is scared to death, and, and he's being called a what? A mighty warrior. Now, Gideon's probably looking behind him, thinking he must be talking to somebody else. Now, imagine this. Imagine that you've decided that you're going to take this story and make it into a movie. Who would you cast in the role of Gideon? Would it be a guy like this? Or a guy like this? Or a guy like this. Because here is the reality. Gideon is no action hero. He's a regular guy and he's afraid. He's unsure of himself. And when God says, Gideon, you are going to go save the nation of Israel, how does Gideon respond? This is in verse 15. But Lord, Gideon asked, how, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I'm the least in my family. God, you got the wrong guy for this job. I'm no... I'm no Moses, I'm no Joshua, I'm just Gideon. And how does God respond? The Lord answered, I will be with you. And you will strike down all the Midianites together. So what difference, church, does it make if we really believe that God is with us? 
And here's the answer. This is on your outline. You will not only see who you are, but also who you can become with God's help. You will not only see who you are, but also who you can become with God's help. See, Gideon does not think very highly of himself. Remember, he says, you know, my clan is the weakest and I'm the least in my family. Now, where did Gideon get an idea like that? By comparing himself with other people. Now, none of us ever do that, do we? Now, think about it. If, if you're a student this morning, do you ever look at other students in your class? Or maybe people in your family and say, you know, I'm just not as smart as that person. I'm not as gifted. I'm not as athletic. I'm, I'm not this or that. Do you ever do that? And sometimes you, you make that comparison and you just feel so badly about yourself. But maybe this happens. You look at somebody in your class and you think, man, I'm a lot smarter than that guy. I'm better looking. I'm more gifted. I can play football better than he can. See, what happens when we compare ourselves to others is this emotional roller coaster we often can ride. Sometimes we might feel superior. Sometimes we might feel inferior. What I want you to see is this. When God looks at Gideon, who does he see? God sees more than a man who is afraid, a man who is terrified, because God says to Gideon, you're a mighty warrior. So God doesn't just see who Gideon is. God sees who Gideon can become because God will be with him. And God knows what's going to happen. God knows the end of the story because Gideon is going to defeat the Midianites. And Gideon, with God's power and presence, is going to accomplish God's purpose. Now, what does that mean for you and me? Simply this, that we need to see ourselves from God's point of view. We need to see not only the person we are, but the person we can become because of a connection with Christ. And friends, this is really the power and the hope of the gospel because the gospel says this, when you become a Christian, you get a new record, you get a new identity, and you get a new potential. The question is, do you see yourself that way? Because of what Jesus has done, our past is completely forgiven. It is behind us. When God looks at us, it's as if we had never sinned. We talked about that on Easter Sunday. What an amazing truth. And when God, when God reaches down and changes our heart and brings us to faith in Christ, we are given a new identity because we're adopted into God's family. And listen, when you get adopted into God's family, you never get unadopted. You have a secure position. And not only that, God gives you a new potential. When you look at yourself today, it's, it's not just what you can do, it's what you can do with God's Spirit living in you. That's who you are. And this is what God wants Gideon to understand. Gideon, I will be with you, and because I am with you, you're going to do things that you never thought were possible. Now let me tell you what happens next. God gives Gideon an initial assignment. He wants him to tear down this this altar that was erected to this God named Baal. Now, Baal is a God worshipped by the Midianites. And worshipping this God involved all kinds of sexual immorality and all kinds of bad behavior that God just hated. This just offended God, and God said, basically, this has got to stop. So God tells Gideon, I want you to tear down, the, tear down this altar to Baal. <clears throat> but Gideon, even though he wants to obey God, is scared of the people. So he does this. He rounds up some of his friends and during the middle of the night, they go and they tear down this altar. Of course, the townspeople eventually figure out that it was Gideon, and they demand that he be put to death. Now, here's the kicker. Do you know who set up that altar to Baal? 
Gideon's dad. His own father. And this is quite fascinating. Gideon's obedience to God affects his father in a very dramatic way. His dad knows that Jehovah is the true God of Israel. He knows better than to worship this false God. And because of his son's faith, because of his son's obedience, the father's heart now is beginning to change. When the people of the town say, listen, Gideon has got to die, how does his father respond? This is in verse 31. But Joash, that's Gideon's father, replied to the hostile crowd around him, are you going to plead Baal's cause? Are you trying to save him? Whoever fights for him shall be put to death by morning. Do you see what's happening? God's changing his heart. His allegiance to Baal is completely dissipating. If Baal really is a god, he can defend himself when somebody breaks down his altar. Gideon's dad is giving up his devotion to this false god. Why? Because of the faith and obedience of his son. And here's what I want you to see. When you know that God is with you like Gideon did, this is what will happen. This is on your outline. You will step out in faith and your courage will be contagious. When you really believe that God is with you, you're going to step out in faith and your courage will be contagious to the people around you. You know, we often hear that the faith of parents affects their kids and that's absolutely the case. No doubt about it. But it also works in reverse. The faith of children deeply can affect moms and dads. And if you're a student this morning, know that. That your courage in following Christ can change the heart of your parents. Right after church this morning, I'm headed to the airport in Miami, flying out to Bogota, Colombia, for another uh, pastor's conference that's sponsored by Voice of the Martyrs. I'm very excited about this upcoming adventure. And this, um, this time I've been given uh, a privilege to be the point person for our teaching team and the point person for our counseling team. And there's a big group of people that are assembling from around the country. Um, there's a church planter that I've been coaching for about the last six months in North Carolina that's going to meet us in Bogota tonight about 9.30. And another pastor that I'm developing a really close friendship with in Texas. And there's a whole team from Christ Fellowship, a children's ministry team that are going to be arriving and we're planning on about 300 to 325 people attending this conference. And that's the pastors and their wives and their kids. And church, you've heard me talk about my experiences um, and going to these conferences. But I will tell you this. I have never seen more courageous people in my entire life. And every time I go and, and talk with them and listen to them and pray with them and hear their stories and the stories that they tell, I mean, I can't even share the details in a setting like this. The persecution, the oppression that they face. Because, as you know, hundreds of these pastors and church leaders have been murdered by the communist guerrillas. And their children have been targeted, and um, their wives have been physically assaulted. And it's just, it's hard to, to even wrap your mind around the persecution that they've endured. But here's, here's what's happening. The gospel is spreading like never before. Because church, there is a battle going on in this world between two kingdoms, the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. And I'm just so thankful for the privilege to go there. And, and I want you to do this. I want you to pray um, for these pastors and their families because sometimes it is really, really hard for them to get to this conference. Um, the way that it works, Voice of the Martyrs has buses that are in these strategic locations. And if the pastors and their families can get to one of these buses, then they can get to the conference but it's really hard to get there. Sometimes they travel over 24 hours. 
And they don't just fly or drive, they walk, they hitchhike, they go on boats and canoes. A lot of them are coming from the jungle to get to the checkpoint, and often they're hindered by the communist guerrillas. So would you pray that these pastors can get there? That's the first thing. And once they're there, pray that God will encourage them so deeply. Um, we have um, such a, an incredible time together. We, we worship together, we pray together, we eat together, we, we talk for hours. And church, I'm just so thankful that I get to go as your representative because it's the church that enables me to go, and I'm very thankful for that. But I want you to know that what's happening there is something you're connected to because these Christians in Colombia, they're our brothers and sisters. We are one family. And so pray that the gospel would be um, preached with power and that many people would find the hope that can only be found in Christ in that nation. Well, let me do this. Let me um, give you the rest of the story, and I'm going to need to give you the Reader's Digest version, so let me do that. The Midianites and these other people that want to attack Israel, they cross the Jordan River, and they set up camp, and God has told Gideon, look, I'm handpicking you to save Israel, but Gideon is not convinced. He's not sure that this is going to happen, so he asked God for a sign. And some of you know the story. He says, God, here's what I want you to do. I'm going to take this fleece and I'm going to put it outside. And tonight, overnight, I want the dew to fall on the fleece but not on the ground around it. I want it to be completely dry. And that'll be a sign that you've picked me for this job and you're going to be with me, God. So what does God do? He says, okay. And so in the morning, the fleece is completely wet. The ground is dry. Now, you would think that would be good enough for Gideon. But no. He's still unsure. He's still afraid. He says, God, look. You know, this is a paraphrase. Don't be mad. You know, just be patient. Give me another sign. So God, just kind of do the reverse. I'm going to put the fleece out again. This time, make the fleece dry. Make the ground around it wet. So what does God do? God answers this request for a sign. But here's something I think is important to realize. A person who is repeatedly asking God for a sign doesn't have a lot of faith. They have a little bit of faith. Because in this situation, God had already told Gideon what to do. He had already promised to be with him. Sort of like the guy that I read about. He was in his car and he was on his way to work. And he drove past this donut shop and he started praying. He says, God, if it's your will that I go inside and get a dozen donuts, I need you to give me a sign. And so the sign that I want you to give me is that there is a parking spot available right in front of this donut store. And wouldn't you know it, the fifth time around the block, there was a parking spot right there. <laughs> When God calls us to do something, we don't need to ask for a sign. We just need to step out in faith and do it. And that's eventually what Gideon does. And so he puts out the word, there's going to be a battle, and these soldiers start arriving. And, you know, initially it looks pretty good because 32,000 soldiers show up to fight the Midianites. But there is a bit of a problem. The Midianites have 135,000 in their army, so Joshua, not Joshua, Gideon, Gideon and his army are outnumbered by about a four-to-one ratio. And then God does something that must have totally confused Gideon. God says, you know what? You got too many soldiers. And Gideon's probably going, what? God says, yeah, you got too many soldiers, so here's what you want, I want you to do. All the soldiers that are afraid, just send them home. You know how many soldiers went home? 22,000. They just left. So Gideon now has an army of 10,000 men. Now the odds are like 13 to 1. And God says, Gideon, you still have too many soldiers. And so God 
Give some more instructions, and here's, here's the end of, of the story, at least this part. Gideon only has 300 soldiers to fight with. And now they're outnumbered 450 to 1. Why does God do this? Because God doesn't want there to be any doubt about what's going to happen. Gideon is going to win a great victory for Israel and for God. But it's not because he has thousands of soldiers with him. It's because he has a big, big God who's with him. And that's exactly what happens. These 300 soldiers under the leadership of Gideon defeat the Midianites. God causes confusion in their camp and they actually start killing each other. Now, what difference does it make when we believe that a big, big God is with us? Well, here's the answer. You will discover that what seems impossible on your own can be achieved because of God's presence and power. What seems impossible on your own can be achieved because of God's presence and power. Look at this verse in the book of Judges. This is in chapter 8. Thus Midian was subdued before the Israelites and did not raise its head again. During Gideon's lifetime, the land enjoyed peace 40 years. Remember the title of today's message, that God's presence is bigger than my fear? Throughout the Bible, we read about people who were afraid. Moses was afraid. He was afraid to go to Pharaoh. Joshua was afraid. Gideon was afraid. King David was afraid. Peter was afraid. All the disciples were afraid, which I think is why the most repeated command in the Bible is two words. Do you know what it is? Fear, fear not. Well, God, why should I be afraid? Because I am with you, and I will never leave you or forsake you. So let me ask you this. Do you ever battle fear or worry or anxiety? I read an article in, in the New York Times about the Human Genome Project, and did you know that scientists have actually discovered that there is a worry gene? It's located on chromosome number 17, and if you have the short version of the gene, you are much more prone to worry. And now that you know that, how many of you are worried that you have the short version of the gene? <laughs> it is so easy for worry to creep into our lives, isn't that true? And church, here's what I am learning to focus on. That I have a big, big God who's always with me. And when I think about all the things I need to do and when I think about all the problems I need to solve, when I think about all the needs that I'm expected to meet, I don't have to be anxious and I don't have to be overwhelmed because I have a big, big God who's always with me. And it's as if Jesus says to me, Dudley, here's the deal. We are going to walk through this day together. And you don't have to figure everything out. You don't have to solve all these problems because you can't. But here's what you can do. You can talk to me. And you can trust me. And if you will do that, then I will give you the strength you need for anything that happens today. Because Dudley, I am bigger much bigger than your worry. I'm bigger than your failure. I'm bigger than your discouragement. And I am bigger than your fear. And church, that's true for each one of us, isn't it? Because listen, God knows about the Midianites in your life and mine. He knows what causes us to worry. He knows what causes us to, to wake up in the middle of the night. And church, I believe this, that God has a message for each one of us this morning. And it was the same message that he had for Gideon. Fear not, for I am 
with you always. Let's pray. God, I thank you for that, that promise. I thank you for the story, God. It's a remarkable story of, of your power and uh, how believing you can make such an incredible difference. And God, I pray that we would really believe you when you tell us that you're a, a God who is wise and a God who is powerful, a God who is sovereign, and a God who cares deeply about everything that we go through. And so God, today, as we come to this celebration of our Lord's life and death and resurrection and return, I pray, God, that you would make us aware of your presence and your peace, for we pray in Jesus' name, amen.